Uh, some of the commentators just flat out say that we don't quite believe that Paul is talking about that for the church, the reverential fear, but actually talking about the terror of the Lord. Listen, guys, church, that God is terrifying. And if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin, we'd have no ability to stand before a holy and righteous God that not only created us, but will one day judge this world. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Let's get into the teaching of God's word today. We're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. This is a rich portion of scripture, partly because there are verses here that are fallback verses that I often refer to, like 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. It's one of those verses that you hear preachers quote every once in a while, or maybe it'll pop up today in our social media feed. It'll be a verse for the day for someone. Or like 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. I think I quoted that wrong. I was looking at my Bible and the print. I don't know what's happening with my Bible, but... I've had this Bible since 1993, and it seems like the print's shrinking on it for some reason. I can't quite figure it out. It's been a reliable Bible for me, but it's just not uh, big enough anymore. Let's get into our study. Well, we closed out a couple of weeks ago. We were looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and Paul closed out in the last couple of verses. I want to read those for us to kind of help set up this next section. It's always good to look back before we move on. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and 11, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And we are well known to God, and I also trust we are well known in your consciences. Speaking about that smaller print, it used to be that I'd pick up this Bible because I wanted people to see that I'm reading from the Word of God. That was it was a prop. It's the Word of God, but I use it because 
I think it's important to say that it's coming from this book. Not only do I continue to pick it up to show you that, but now I pick it up that I can actually read the words. It's closer to my eyes. I have to get it closer to my face. So he talks about here in verses 10 and 11 that we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And when we looked at that the last time I taught that for believers will be at the Bema seat judgment of Christ. For unbelievers, they'll be at the great white throne judgment. And he mentions because of the terror of the Lord, and there is this sense of from the church's perspective, often we say the terror of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, that we talk about that reverential fear that we have toward God. Uh, some of the commentators just flat out say that we don't quite believe that Paul is talking about that for the church, the reverential fear, but actually talking about the terror of the Lord. Listen, guys, church, that God is terrifying. And if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin, we'd have no ability to stand before a holy and righteous God that not only created us, but will one day judge this world. But Paul went from there to immediately saying that we are known by God. He had this confidence. He had this trust that they, referring to his missionary team, we are known by God. We have fellowship with God. It's because of the blood of Christ that he was able to proclaim that. But he sets us up for verses uh, that continue in verse 12, saying we also trust that we are known by you as well that there was this division that had taken place in the church of Corinth. There were those who came in meaning to divide. They were actually questioning Paul's authority. And Paul is saying that we don't need to boast. As he says, as we begin in our study that I entitled New Creations in verses 12 through 21 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we begin in verses 12 and 13 with Paul reminding the Corinthians that we don't need to boast. He says in verse 12, for we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to glory on our behalf, that you may have something to answer those who glory in appearance and not in heart. For if we are besides ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. Now, some of the newer King James Bibles, they, instead of talking about glory, they use the word boast there. That's what I put in my notes, an opportunity to boast. But notice that Paul said, we don't have to commend ourselves to you once again. And this was something that in 2 Corinthians 3.1, Paul had asked this question, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation, to you or letters of commendation from you? Do we need this? Now, remember that Paul came, and I believe that when Paul came to Corinth, that he more than likely carried letters of commendation from the church of Antioch. It was the church of Antioch that sent Paul and Silas out on this missionary journey. We also know that when he went out on the second missionary journey, that he had gone forth with letters from Jerusalem that in Acts chapter 15, the resolve of the Jerusalem council that really targeted Gentiles who were coming to faith in Jesus Christ, whether they'd have to walk according to Jewish law, get circumcised, go through that whole 
process or if they could come to faith in Jesus Christ apart from following Jewish law? The answer was, you do not have to follow Jewish law. You can come to faith just as you are. We believe that is true to this day. So I believe when Paul went out, he had letters. But here he's saying, we do not have to commend ourselves to you once again. This is not what we're about. In fact, he had spent a year and a half with them. After a year and a half, he's saying, you guys should be able to boast about us. You should be able to glory, as it says in my Bible, or boast, as it might say, in yours, depending on the translation that you're using. You should be able to boast in the positive works that you have seen God do through us and in your behalf. Instead of commending themselves to the Corinthians, Paul gave them opportunity to boast on their behalf. And he did this because he wanted them to have an answer. He wanted them to have an answer to give to those who were trying to um, divide the fellowship, trying to divide the church. I think that is really a great lesson for each of us today. We should learn to boast about the positive works that God is doing through this church, through CCLV. And how do we do this? I believe that uh, we do this by understanding the mission and the ministry of Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa. And maybe for you to be able to boast about the mission and ministry of Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa, you might have to do a little homework. But homework isn't horrible. It helps you to know the answers. More importantly, though, I believe that we should be able to boast about the work of Jesus Christ in our lives and in the work of the church, the big C, throughout the world. And again, to be able to learn to boast, be able to learn to glory, to glory in Jesus Christ, to prepare ourselves to give an answer. In 1 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16, it says, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You're the one that is to have the meekness and the fear. But you're to be ready to give a defense. Hey, there's something different about you. It seems like you have a hope that I'm missing in my life. And we need to be ready to give a defense. To be ready to give a defense means we need to know enough of the word of God to be able to defend the word of God. In verse 16, 1 Peter 3, 16, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. We should be ready, always ready to give a defense. And Paul encourages the church of uh, Corinth, to be able to boast in their behalf, to be able to have a defense for those who are trying to divide the church. And this is so important today. There are those to this day who are attempting to divide the church of Jesus Christ. And we need to be those who are willing to stand as a, a buffer of truth to others. But the only way that we can stand that way as a buffer of truth is to know the truth. Jesus said, that if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Ultimately, that referring to Jesus Christ himself. But knowledge comes through our minds. God has given us the word of God to learn of him, but it comes through our minds. So we need to use our minds 
to be able to give a defense, to be able to boast in behalf of Christ. And Paul went on to say, if we appear unstable or mad, well, it wouldn't be a horrible thing because they said this of Jesus as well. They were saying it of Paul and Silas and of Timothy. These guys are mad. Well, they said it of Jesus in Matthew 3.21. His own people heard about this and went out to lay hold of him, saying that he is out of his mind. They said that about Jesus. Now, what do you think people think about followers of Jesus Christ? Sometimes they may look at us thinking, man, you're nuts. You're crazy. But Paul went on to say, we shouldn't worry about that. If we're crazy, it's for God. But if we're of sound mind, it's for you. If we're crazy, if we appear crazy to the world, it's for God. But if we appear of sound mind, a word that speaks about having a right mind, using self-judgment or self-discipline, we shouldn't worry about commending ourselves before others, although sometimes it may be appropriate to do. Rather, we should be prepared to boast, to give glory about the work of Jesus Christ in our lives, in our church locally and also the church globally. But boasting about Jesus may seem strange to the world. They may think we're a little off. They might think we're crazy. But to like-minded believers, it should seem as if we are of sound mind. We get it, right? Although the world may not get it, we should get it. He continues in verses 14 and 15. He speaks about a love that compels. Reading verses 14 and 15, he says, For the love of Christ constrains us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So the love of Christ constrains us. My Bible, uh, older New King James, the newer New King James used the word compels there. But what does Paul mean by being compelled by the love of Christ? One author put it this way. In a comprehensive sense, Paul is dominated, occupied by the task as a proclaimer of the word. Paul was compelled to proclaim the gospel. He was propelled to proclaim the gospel, well, in three ways, because of the love of Christ, also because Jesus died for us, also because we have died. Let's break that down. Because of the love of Christ, he said the love of Christ compels us. There's a lot of things that can compel us in this life. The word simply means to be compelled by force or to drive us to do something. For instance, every year, right around this time, after the harvest party, there's something about this guy right here who, sitting in this church, which I often do Monday through Friday by myself, working, working on the radio, doing sermons, and the stuff I do around here during the week, there's a point I'm doing something and suddenly I'm being compelled. I'm being compelled to go down to the kitchen because I know there's leftover Reese's peanut butter cups down there. <laughs> we had the harvest party and I'm being compelled to eat every single Reese's peanut butter cup that's left in this church. It's compelling, for me at least. 
Or maybe we've discovered, my wife and I, those who loved Heath bars for a long time, they don't quite taste like they used to. I was wondering if other people felt that way as well. So they used to compel me as well, but I think they changed the ingredients of the chocolate, so it's not so compelling any longer. I've also witnessed this amazing compelling force through my wife, Lily, who if she hears of a baby being born, either in our family or a friend, someone in the church, she is compelled to go shopping to buy baby clothes and make sure that baby is properly clothed. I know this because I've witnessed it for now, 42 years of our marriage. There's something about a newborn baby. She's really compelled to hold the child. I think this is her method of getting the baby in her arms. I bought some clothes. Can I hold your baby, please? I don't know. No doubt Paul was compelled by many other things in life, just as we are. But the overarching compulsion of his life was that of the love of Jesus that had bestowed upon him by forgiving him of his sins, by saving him and calling him into ministry. We are compelled by many things in life, but as believers in Jesus Christ, that overarching compulsion should be that of the love of Jesus Christ compels us. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, Paul, speaking about the love of Christ, he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, what is the length, what is the depth, what is the height, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The love of Christ compels us, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we might be filled with the fullness of God. Jesus' love is without limits. No matter where you search for him or how much you learn about him, you can never cease to discover the vast, the unending richness of his love. In 1 John 4, 10 and 11, the Bible tells us in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That Jesus Christ being that propitiation, that covering for our sins. So there for Paul, he was compelled to proclaim the gospel, first of all, because of the love of Christ. Second, because Jesus died for all. Notice that Paul did not say that Jesus died for only those who would be saved. But he said Jesus Christ died for all. Again, we find 1 John 2, 2, that he himself is the propitiation of our sins. Not for ours only, but also for the whole world. That propitiation, hilasmas, is the Greek word. It means to be a covering. Jesus Christ is the covering of our sins, but not ours only, ours only as believers, but also for that of the whole world. In Acts 4.12, Peter and John speaking the gospel to the people there at the temple, they said, nor is there salvation in any other. 
For there is no other name under heaven given by which we must be saved. In the name of Jesus Christ, he has died for all. And the blood of Jesus Christ, I believe, is able to cover all sins. But it's only those who receive the gift of salvation that discover that covering. In our household, I keep the heat lower than Lily would like it all the time. For the most part, I'm comfortable. Lily is not. She needs a covering. She needs a blanket. And often you come into her house, she'll be sitting with a blanket. I'm so cruel. <laughs> I also know that we have an upstairs. I know that heat rises. And that if we keep the lower comfortable, the upstairs will not be comfortable when we go to bed. So I have a strategy about this. I want to sleep comfortably. But the covering is available. And I have to tell her that, that. You can cover yourself. Jesus Christ is that covering that is available. Is that a good segue? When we witness about Jesus Christ, we are basically saying that he is the propitiation. He is the hilasmas. He is the covering that God has made available for everyone. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The covering is available, but you have to call to obtain the covering. You have to call upon the name of the Lord to pick up that covering, to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So he was compelled because of the love of Christ. He was compelled because Jesus died for all. He was compelled, the third point, is because we have died. And this speaking about having died to sin through faith in Jesus Christ, believers are no longer to live for themselves. Having died to sin through faith in Jesus Christ, we are no longer to live for ourselves. Romans 6, 4 says, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was risen from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. We were buried with him through baptism of the death. Believer's baptism is a great symbol of this. It represents our death, our burial of that of the old life prior to coming to Christ. And coming up out of the water, it represents that resurrection to walk in the newness of life that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. This newness, it speaks about this word that refers to this renewal, not just an experience similar to the past, but it's a it's a different type of newness. It's uncomparable to that of the past. We are to live for the greater good, therefore, as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Because Christ died, we have also died. But also as believers, then, because we have died through faith in Jesus Christ, we are to live for the one who has died for our sins. And that is Jesus. We are to live for Christ. The reason that we are to live for Jesus, not only because he died to pay the price of our sin, but that he rose again. Hebrews 2.9 tells us that God made Jesus a little lower than the angels for suffering of death, but crowned him in glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Jesus Christ died 
but he has also risen again. In Romans 5.15, it tells us, For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. Jesus died that that gift of God might abound to many through saving faith. And since Jesus died to sin once and for all, we have also died through faith in Jesus Christ. Thus, we're no longer to allow sin to be king, to reign over our life, to rule over our lives. We are to allow the love of Christ to compel us that he has not only saved us, but to compel us that we might live for him. It is so important that we shine for Christ. There are a lot of people in this world today that do not believe in Jesus Christ, in our country today, that do not believe in Jesus Christ. But we need to stand as witnesses of Christ, even if the world would disagree. Is the love of Christ compelling you to live for him? Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today.